Well, it's been a few weeks, but we're picking up here in Galatians chapter 3. We're over at verse 10. Last time we were looking at the things the law could not do. First off, the law cannot save. The law cannot perfect. And the law cannot empower. The law is not, not able to do these things, but the law can point the way. And that's all the law was supposed to do was to point the way. Unfortunately, what happened with a lot of people is they came to the sign in the road that said, you are going on the path to hell, go this way, and they decided to camp there because they thought that was it. How many have ever driven along some of the highways? And, uh, you know, you may see a, a sign along the... You might be on 76 or 276 or 95, and you might see a sign for the destination that you want. And it has the, you know, get off of this exit. Well, that doesn't mean where that sign is, is where you want to go. It just says, you're, this is the way, this is the path, this is how you go. But the folks that Paul is dealing with were saying, no, 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 the sign is the destination. This is where we want to be. And that's not right. It was never intended to be that way. And they kept going back to Abraham. Their goal was to go back to Abraham because Abraham, they say, was spiritual once he was circumcised. And he got everybody else circumcised. And so you need to be circumcised too. You need to conform to the law in order to become like Abraham. Well, that wasn't exactly true. And so Paul uses that example as, as such. And we even looked at Abraham on Sunday. And we saw that Abraham had all his guys circumcised, but there was still no baby. There was still no baby of promise. That still came, uh, it was a number of years later. Because he, he still was not the spiritual giant he needed to be. He still hadn't overcome this. So that didn't do it for him. So Paul is, is going back and says, look, you want to use Abraham? Let's use Abraham. That's going back. The promise was made to Abraham. It was not made through Moses. It was made through Abraham. So what Moses brings us does not nullify what Abraham does. And that's what we're picking up here in verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So he's just reiterating with them, If you decide to go the way of the law, then you have to go away with the whole law. That's just the way that it is. Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Well, the law is of such that it, once it pulls people in, it doesn't usually let people go. It just kind of hangs on to them. And you talk to people that are Christians that are pursuing God in the course of a law, and how hard is it to get them off of that? How hard is it to get them off of works and onto faith? It's pretty tough, isn't it? Because once the law gets hold of you, it don't let go. It, it stays there. And these folks keep trying to, to do more and, and to find a way to make this thing work. Well, it's not going to work. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. So if you can't fulfill the law completely, you are under the curse of the law. But he says, I like what he says here in the beginning. For as many as are of, they're not made. They are of. They put themselves under it. It's a voluntary thing. God does not make anyone of the law. does not call anyone to be of the law. But as many as are of the law. Something that we do. But that no, no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. That's what the Word of God says. The just shall live by faith. So no one is justified by the law. No one. 
No one can be justified by the laws. So if you want to go back into the law, you're going back into a way that no one can be justified by. It does not happen. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. So he said, it's not just me. I'm not telling you that in the sight of Paul, no one is justified by the law. I'm telling you that in the sight of God, no one is justified by the law. And it's evident because look at what God says. For the just shall live by faith, not by law. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. The law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. If you're going to go the way of the law, you're going to live by the law. If you're going to go the way of faith, you're going to live by faith. But they're, not, they're, they're contrary to each other. You have to go one way or you have to go the other way. If you were here and if you were going to go to the east coast, you would go one direction. If you were going to go to the west coast, you would go the other direction. You cannot go to the west coast the same time you're going to the east coast. It's not possible. The law is one direction and faith is another. If you are going to go in the direction of the law, you cannot be going in the direction of faith. If you're going to go in the direction of faith, you cannot be going in the direction of the law. And there's no one who's halfway in between either. Can't be a little bit law and a little bit faith. Uh, it doesn't work. You are either all one or the other. If you are partially law, you are all law. Is what he's basically saying this thing. If you go after the law a little bit, you go after the law all the way. You cannot go after a little bit. It's it's all the way. It's one direction, or it's the other direction. That's all there is to it. So the law is the direction we want to go. Or the, the faith is the direction we want to go, not the law. If you, if you listen to some of the testimonies. Have you ever heard people give te- Of course you've heard people. Every Sunday we give testimonies of what God is doing. Every Sunday, just imagine what would happen if testimonies were to go this way. Somebody writes up on their praise report and they say, Well, I was at church last Sunday and on Monday I got a raise. <laughs> well, I didn't put on any makeup last week and I got healed. Would, would that work? I kept my hair, I cut my hair shorter and, and the next day a check came in the mail. Have you ever heard a person give a testimony like that? We, we have never yet, I've never heard a person give a testimony like that attributing their, their works to, the, every time that somebody gives a testimony, it's on the basis of the word, it's on the basis of faith and it's the glory of God. However, people don't think like this. I'm talking about Spirit-filled Christians don't always think like this. How often have we been brought into a thing that, well, if I want God to do this, I'll have to read the Bible more? And we thought that? I'm not reading the Bible enough. I'm not praying enough. That's probably why God isn't doing these things for me. Why am I still suffering with this sickness and disease? Oh, God doesn't like the way I'm living, does he? We'll do this inside, but we know better than to make it external. I think it's amazing. We know better than to say anything like that. We won't ever say to anybody. Ever. We won't ever say anything like that to anybody. We'll always say, glory to God. God came through. I believe God and this happened. But inside, the devil can mess us up, stir us up and say, because you didn't go to church. Because you quit reading your Bible all the time. Yeah, that's what it was. That's a works mentality. It's a law mentality. Because the law says you must go to church every Sunday. The law says, thou shalt read thy Bible every single day. The law says, thou shalt spend one hour in prayer each day. 
And if thou dost not, thou shalt be cursed. Now, it doesn't actually say that, but for a lot of us, we still think that way. And it's real easy for us to get pulled off. If you go after the law partially, are you in the direction of faith? So all that Satan has to do is pull us in that direction a little bit. And he's got us off of faith. Just go the way of faith. When he says, well, you don't qualify for that. Just tell him, I don't have to. Jesus qualified for it. Because that's the way of faith. The way of faith accepts what Jesus did. The way of work says, well, I see what you did there for salvation. I appreciate that, but I'll take it from here. Because that's what they were being taught in the city of Galatia, or the cities of Galatia. All right, well, Paul taught you that to get saved, you know, it's, it's by faith. But now to go on, if you want to become perfected, you have to go the way of the law. Because look at Abraham. Abraham was perfected because of the law. And they bought it. And Paul was really upset with them doing it. And he says, I can't believe how quickly you went after this thing. How much, how quickly you left the true gospel for something like this. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. So whatever you're going to do is what you're going to live by. How many of you know it's better to live by faith? We've got to get rid of all the works out of our life. It's still good to do things. I mean, how many of y'all know it's still good to go to church on Sunday? It's still good to read your Bible. It's still good to pray. These are all good things to do, but we don't obtain righteousness by them. The Spirit of God leads us in the direction to read the Bible, to pray, to go to church, to fellowship with other Christians, to do things like this because it helps us, not because it makes us righteous or saved. Verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, if you ever did a search in your quick verse on cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, you'll come up blank, except for this verse. Well, this verse, and uh, uh, it's, it's twice in, in Galatians. You'll find it in Galatians. But Paul says it is written. Well, doesn't it mean that if it's written, it ought to be written somewhere? <laughs> doesn't that mean that to you? If, if Paul says it is written, it, it should be... I mean, my, mine has quotes in it. I don't know that Paul put quotes in it for him, but anyway... Uh, quotes, as we told you before, punctuation is not in the inspired word that we have. It's inserted by the translators because they left it out to save paper. They, they dropped it all. So cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Well, this, this comes from a scripture in Deut- Deuteronomy 21. Put it up there on the screen for us. If a, uh, verse 22. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree... His body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance for he who is hanged is accursed of God. That's as close as we got. But what came from this was the Jewish people understood from this that anyone who was hung on a tree became cursed. And that understanding is what Paul is quoting. It comes from this verse of scripture, but it's that understanding. Now, I'm not saying that his understanding on this is wrong. It obviously made the Bible. And Jesus seems to be going along with it as well. Because it will even bring up some things. Over in John chapter 3, I put this one right in your outline for you. You can read it right there. Jesus refers to this. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So let's go back over to that story in Numbers chapter 21. Take a look at this. In Numbers chapter 21, it begins at verse 4. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom. 
and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. How many of y'all know it's bad to be discouraged? It is not good. Are they, just as a little side note here, are the people of Israel going in the direction they ought to go? How are the children of Israel led around the wilderness? Pillar of fire, cloud. Who moves the pillar of fire? Who moves the cloud? God. So if they are moving from one place to another, why are they doing it? Because God's leading them there because of the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire and so forth. So when it says they became discouraged along the way, a lot of Christians get this idea. They think that because I am discouraged, I must be in the wrong place. Right there, you've got, you got people in the Bible that are in the right place but are still discouraged. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way and the people spoke against God and against Moses. When you're discouraged, get rid of that thing because you start opening your mouth, you get yourself in trouble. Discouraged people say bad things with their mouth. doesn't mean you always got to cuss and, and say stuff like that, but you'll just let things out of your mouth that you don't need to be letting out. And here's what they say. They spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Man. If you can condense a whole lot of bad things in one sentence, I mean, could you do any better than that? Yeah, that is something else. You see, they're becoming discouraged. When you become discouraged, you are a, you are a fertile ground for the devil to drop any thought in there that he wants. They are getting bread from heaven. Every day. Got to do nothing for it. Just go out there and gather it. Bread from heaven. And it has come to them to be worthless. God could be raining down bread in, from heaven into your life and you get discouraged. Satan can sow wrong thoughts and you can look at what is a blessing from God as worthless. So be careful of discouragement. Get rid of that thing. Doesn't mean you're in the wrong place. Doesn't mean you're doing the wrong thing. Doesn't mean anything about that. Just means you've got a wrong attitude. Fix it. Because this is not good. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt? Well, I thought you wanted to get up out of Egypt. I thought Egypt was a bad place. I thought Egypt was so bad you were wailing and crying to God. Then, then God say, I have heard the cries of my people. Pharaoh went out there and started killing their babies. Let's go back to that. Why have you brought us up out of that? Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Has God brought them up to die? Has Moses brought them up to die? Every time God's talking with them, I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a good land. You're going to live in cities, houses that you didn't make. It's, it's, you're going to reap from orchards and vineyards and gardens that you didn't plant. It's going to be good. For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Now, this is just a side note on this, but another side note. When you get discouraged, most often your eyes are only where you are, not where God is taking you. Their eyes are not at all where God is taking them. They are solely on where they are with a little bit of a tilt to where they've been. We were in Egypt. And of course, discouragement will remember your past wrongly. You get discouraged and you'll, you'll start thinking, boy, I wish I had that job again. Yeah, when you had that job, you hated it. Man, I wish I had that job again. I like that job. Love that job. 
because you're discouraged with where you are. So you look back and you have fond memories of something that you really didn't like. Mm-hmm. Be careful of discouragement. Anyway, side note. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and many of the people of Israel died. Now, does this mean that God conjured up serpents and sent them out? The Jewish mind is, if God didn't stop it, God did it. Their speech opened up the door for the enemy to come and attack, which he did. So fiery serpents came among the people and they bit the people and many of the people of Israel died. Many of the people of Israel, we're not talking about a few. There's a bunch of people who died because snakes bit them. How many of y'all like snakes? Anybody like snakes? One's, I've got one back there. Like, do you like snakes? These are not constrictors. I mean, constrictors are nice. You can hold them. They're not going to do anything to you. They're, they're okay. I don't mind constrictors. You know, corn snakes, harmless. Yeah, they're just kind of fun little things. I told you before, if you have a king snake in your yard, you are set. If you don't have one, you can go out there and get one. Put a king snake in your yard. Let them make a nest underneath your house. You are set because king snakes eat all kinds of stuff that you don't like. And they leave you alone. People really knew it about spiders. They wouldn't mind spiders in their house either because spiders take care of a whole mess of stuff that you don't like inside your house. But people don't like spiders, so <laughs> that's all there, there is. You know, bats, bats are good too. You ought to go to outside and, and put a bat house up in your backyard and track them. You want bats to be in your place because they will eat their weight in mosquitoes. They're incredible. They're just mos- mosquito-eating machines. You can buy all the stuff you want to to put in your backyard. You have a bat. You'll take care of them for you. Just go out there and get yourself a bat. They're, they're great. You know what? Most bats leave people alone. Most of the time. Most of the time they just leave you alone. They, they don't want anything to do with you. They just want to go out there and find mosquitoes. You are too big for them to eat. I love bats. They may not be the prettiest of all God's creatures, but I'll tell you what, they are functional. Oh, they serve such a great function. <laughs> they are blessed of God, aren't they? Mm. But anyway, fiery serpents came among the people that bit them. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. It wouldn't be great if they would realize they sinned before the serpents would come in, before the plague would hit, before the ground would open up, before the fire would come down from heaven. Wouldn't it be great if people would... would no, they don't. They wait until the bad stuff happens. People die. We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. At least they knew what they did. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And that shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. So it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, I don't know if that means he, he uh, took some bronze and shaped it like a serpent, or if he took a serpent and dipped it in bronze. I don't know which one it meant, but uh, he took a pole and he put the serpent on the pole and people just had to look at that. What is the pole made out of? Wood. It is made out of wood because cursed is everything that hangs on a tree. Jesus quotes this. We don't have Moses to tell us what the material is. We have Jesus quoting it. We know it is made out of wood. It is not the shape of a cross because in order to put a serpent on a piece of wood, you do not need a place for his arms. Right? They don't have them. All you got to do is wrap that thing around the pole and he is hung up, on the, uh, hung up on the wood. And so that's what they did. This, is, of course, became the symbol for the medical industry. 
And they put that up on there. And all the people had to do was to look upon the serpent. And by faith, there's no works in there. Just by faith, you look upon it, you take God at His Word. By faith, you would be healed of the poison that was in there. And so, Jesus uses this as an example. Just as Moses put the serpent up on the wood, so also will the Son of Man be put up on the wood. He's going to be hung up. He's going to become cursed. He's going to be put on a tree. And he's going to become cursed. So all we have to do is look on Christ and we are set free from the poison that's inside us of sin. From the curse that is in us from the, from the law. All you got to do is look on Christ. But how many of y'all know, probably in Israel, there were some people who say, I'm not looking at that. I don't care what God says. I don't, I, I, he needs to come by and heal me another way. I'm not looking at that. What will happen to that person? They are dead. They would die very shortly. It would not last very long. But there's a lot of people in this world today who says, well, I don't think that's the only way. I don't think that Jesus is the only way. I, believe, I come to God in my own way. And what if somebody came up to Moses and said, Moses, I'm coming to God in my own way. He says, you're going to die. <laughs> that's all there is to it. You're going to die. Jesus said, God said, this is the way to do it. Look on. Look on the serpent. The serpent has taken the curse for you. But you've got to look on him. Jesus has taken the curse for us, but you've got to look on him. It's by faith. It's not by works. It's by faith. So they made a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten shall look on it and shall live. Same thing it is today. If you look on Jesus Christ on the cross, you shall live. So once again, we see the wood being involved. Remember back on Easter, we were going over how uh, the wood was carried. Abraham didn't carry the wood. Who carried the wood? Isaac carried the wood. He carried all the wood. He carried the wood and put it up there, and then he got set on the wood. Jesus carried the wood. Then he got set on the wood. In the same way. The wood is important because cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Didn't matter what shape the tree is in. Didn't matter if it was a branch on a tree and you're hung on it. Didn't matter if it's a pole. And didn't matter if it's a cross. What's involved is that it's wood and that it's a tree. And that they are set upon it. So Jesus was set on that cross. He was set on that wood. And he became a curse. Because he was on the wood and he died on that cross. So that's the example that, that Paul is referring to here. Now there was a, um, uh, well he goes on, did, we, did I skip a verse here? Where were we at in Galatians? Where is it? Uh, 13, 14? Put 14 back up there again. We didn't get to 13 or 14? We did 13, we didn't do 14, right? We have it up there? All right. I can go back and get it if I need to. In fact, I may just go back there. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So here we have two things. We have curse and we have blessing. The idea is that the curse is put upon Christ so that the blessing is put upon us. Curse and blessing. Now, if you remember back in the Old Testament, that Moses, when he was departing and he was going, he gave them a command. And he says, when you cross over the Jordan, you're going to come to two mountains. And when you come to these two mountains, I want you to do something. 
in verse uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 29. Now it shall be when the Lord your God has brought you into the land which you, sh- which you go to possess, that you shall put the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Now here's the, here's the, the long version, longer version. Uh, Deuteronomy 27. Now Moses with the elders of Israel commanded the people saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. And it shall be in the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God has given you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with, with lime. And you shall write on them all the words of this law when you are crossed over that you may enter the land which the Lord your God has given you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your father has promised you. Therefore it shall be when you have crossed over the Jordan that on Mount Ebal you shall set up these stones which I command you today and and shall whitewash them with lime. I am told they have found this altar. That they found this, this altar on Mount Ebal. Now he said you're going to set up an altar. And you're going to set it up where? On Mount Ebal. That's the, that's the mountain of what? Curse. Curse. Because if you're on the blessing side, you don't need a sacrifice. It's when you're on the curse side that you need the sacrifice to get you over to the blessing side. So we put it on Mount Mount Ebal. That was verse 4, verse 5. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not use iron tool in them. You shall build with, with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall offer peace offerings and you shall eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God and you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. Then Moses and the priests and Levites spoke to all Israel saying, Take heed and listen, O Israel. This day you have become... The people of the Lord your God, therefore you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe his commandments and his statutes. And I command you today. And Moses commanded the people on the same day, saying, These shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. Then you have crossed over the Jordan. Simon, or Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. Now, if you look this up, you will find out that the ones that are sitting on the blessed side are the sons of the wives. And the ones that are on the cursed side are the sons of the concubines. That's how they broke them up. Cursed is the one who makes a carved... We'll go back over here for a minute. You have Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. Is there a tribe of Joseph? It was split, wasn't it? And who has it become? Manasseh and Ephraim. But we have six tribes and six tribes because, because the tribe of Levi was put on the blessing side. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, they're, they're, they're put on the, on, the, on the blessing side, on the Gerizim. Now, there were some that were in the middle, but the, I guess the majority of the tribe was, was up there on the, on the Mount of Gerizim. So that gave you six. So in order to have the six there, we condensed the two tribes into the one tribe. So instead of having what's called the half-tribe of Manasseh and the half-tribe of Ephraim, we had the full tribe of Joseph. And that's where we, we stayed with the 12. You'll notice, uh, we've, we've mentioned it before, uh, there's about three different lists of the 12 tribes of Israel. And on different lists, different ones are missing. Because technically, there are 13. But they're only ever listed as 12. It's just sometimes different ones are, are left off. I think Benjamin was left off on one list. And, and uh, here we have uh, Ephraim and Manasseh left off. And Anyway, Joseph put on. It's a study for another day. 
So, verse 13, we left off. Verse uh, 14, And the Levite shall speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel, Cursed is the one who makes a carved or molded image, an abomination to the Lord, and the work of the hands of the craftsmen. So they went on through here and they said all the things that are curses, and cursed is the one who does this, and curses 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 the one who does this, and it keeps on going on. And curse, 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 does all these people. And this sets up one of our favorite chapters in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 28. And blessed is the man who does these things. We did the cursing first, and then we do the blessing. And blessed is the one who does this, and blessed is the one who does this, and blessed is the one who does this. And I think if you count them up, the blessings out, outdo the, the cursings. But uh, anyway, that's, that's the setup to uh, chapter 28, is this part in, in there. Joshua chapter 8, verse 30. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it a burnt offering to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all the Israel with their elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as he who was born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them were in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded before, that they should bless the people of Israel. And so they went on and they, they did this. Now, can you imagine if you're in the land, if you go back to this, uh, this part here, you'll find out that a whole mess of people heard them doing this and they came on down to fight with them. But can you imagine, again, two to four million people, half of them on one mountain, half of them on the other mountain, and they're all shouting these things. You think somebody might be able to hear that? That gets somebody's attention. What is that noise? Do you hear that? That would get their attention. And they would send some people to find out what was going on. It's the people of Israel. They're lined up on two mountains. And they got cursing on this one and blessing on this one. And, and I mean, they're, they're motivated. They're excited. <laughs> we better do something to stop this thing. And so they get them out there and, and do it. So you have the, the tale of the two mountains. I want to give you one more thing about two. There's a tale of two sons that we also see. How many know this theme has gone through the, the scriptures quite often? We saw it first off with Jacob and Esau. And which the, 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 the two sons, which one was the blessed one? The younger. The younger shall serve. And the reason for it was because the one, even though he was a scoundrel, would eventually get to a place where he was a person of faith. And he'd go the way of faith. And Esau did not. And Esau would despise the things that a person of faith would, would cherish. And even though he was a scoundrel, Jacob, he, um, he did uh, put value on the right things. And so we see that one. The blessing came upon the younger. And that's emphasized quite a bit in Scripture, isn't it? Whenever something is emphasized, it's emphasized for a reason. And then we see it again when, um, when Joseph is going to bless the sons. And what's, it, what's he do? He's going to bless the sons and, he's, and, they, and they, or Jacob was going to bless them and Joseph brings them in and he puts them in there so that Ephraim would get the smaller blessing and Manasseh would get the greater blessing. And he switched his hands up. And Joseph says, no, 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 no. This is the older one. He says, I know which one it is. He says, and he will be a great people too, but his, his younger son will be greater than he. Well, we see a time when um, a certain man that God called a great valiant warrior, 
You all know my stance on Gideon. And he says that he is of the least family, of the least tribe. What tribe was he from? Manasseh. He's from the tribe of Manasseh. I am from the least tribe, the least family, and I'm the least of the least family. <laughs> he saw himself way down there in the total bowl. But uh, again, the blessing came on which one? The younger one. The younger one. What is God trying to get at when the younger son keeps being blessed? Well, when we look at the family of God, who is the older brother? Jesus. He is the first one who was born again, right? He is the only begotten son of God. We are brought in as sons of God as well. Male or female makes no difference. We're brought in as sons of God too. So that makes us brethren with Jesus, but he is the older brethren. So the first time we saw that the blessing skipped the older son to go to the younger son. The second time we saw that the blessing skipped the older son to go to the younger son. What happened with Jesus? He allowed the blessing to skip over him so that it would come upon us. He did not need to be redeemed. He took the curse for us so that we could take the blessing. And thereby the blessing of God skipped over the older son and came to us the younger. Hallelujah. <laughs> because Hallelujah. there was a precedence that he already put in two times already. And he was the older one. And he says, we're doing this for a purpose. I don't need the blessing. You guys do. <laughs> you, you guys need it. You guys need that blessing. And so I'm going, to let the, I'm going to do all this, and I'm going to be in the position to take it, but I'm going to let it go right on past me and go right on over to you. And he set that precedent up, and they all know these stories, and they all know that this kind of thing went on. So again, that's just another side note. Verse 15, Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only... Oh, I didn't fill in that blank for you. It's us and Jesus. It's the last one. If you didn't get that. Us and Jesus. The two sons. Us, younger son, Jesus, older son. Brethren, I speak in the matter of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. In any man's covenant, when two men, two women, it doesn't matter, he's just talking about people, when two people come together, they make a covenant, they make an agreement, and they go away, no one has the right to make a, a, a change to that agreement without both coming back together. It'd be kind of like if you had a, bought a blank, uh, 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 a lot, empty lot, and you brought in somebody and said, look, I want to build a house. I want the house to look like this. I want the house to be so big. I want it to have a basement. I want it to have this kind of a roof. I want it to have this in the backyard. And you make all those arrangements and all those things and say, all right, That'll cost you this much. Okay, I agree to that price. And you agree to that and you go on off. And the builder goes out there and says, I don't want to make it. I want to make it this way. Mm-hmm. Instead of making a colonial, I want to make a split level. And instead of uh, having trees in the backyard, I'm going to make it empty. Mm-hmm. And instead of a basement, we're going to put it on a slab. And instead of a three-car garage, we're going to give it a two-car garage. And you come back and you see the house finished. Well, wait, this is not... Well, I, I know I made some changes. Would that work? No. We know that in the course of, of just people, if we make an agreement, no, that's, that's not going to be, that's not going to work. If you go over to the, the Walmart, the Target, and you go in there and you pull the item off the shelf and the price of the item says twenty nine ninety nine, and you take it to the register and they ring it up and they ring up thirty nine ninety nine. 
What are you going to do? Well, I guess I'll pay $10 more for it. Anybody going to do that? What are you going to do? Wait, that's the wrong price. That's the, you're, you, you have on the shelf twenty nine ninety I'm sorry, but it's ringing up thirty nine ninety nine. No, it's not ringing up thirty nine ninety nine. You set on the shelf, and then what do you do? You take them back to the shelf and say, "Look, there's the sign thirty nine twenty nine ninety nine. You need to you need to make this thing right. I don't care what your computer says. This is what it says, right? And won't we do that? Mm-hmm. We'd hold them to that because this is what it said. In the same way, he's saying, just as people make a agreement, a covenant with each other, and when they go away, you can't, you can't change it. You can't change it. Even though it's only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. That's just a man's covenant. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Now, look at this. He's emphasizing this. To Abraham and his seed. The people that are hooked on the law look at this as to Abraham and his seeds. But he says, no, that's not the promise. When God made the promise with Abraham, and no one can change it. When God made the promise with Abraham, God made the promise to Abraham, and he quotes it, to Abraham and to his seed. And he goes on and defines it. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, plural, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, which is Christ. So he's saying the promise was made originally, not to the descendants of Abraham, but to one descendant who would be Christ, the Messiah. The promise of Abraham is made to Jesus Christ. Not to the offspring of Abraham. That's what he's bringing them back to. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect. When that agreement was put in place, it cannot be changed unless both parties agreed. And 430 years later, Later, Abraham is dead and not able to change the agreement. He's dead. He's no longer on the earth. He's alive in heaven. We we all know he's down in in, uh, uh, Abraham's bosom, paradise, waiting for the redemption, waiting for Christ to come on down, take the captives free and so forth. But he's still down there. He's not on the earth, able to do anything. So he says, that covenant is locked in. When a person dies and they are in covenant, whatever is in covenant is locked. You cannot change it. It's done. And so that's what he's saying. The law comes 430 years after the promise is made to Abraham. Therefore, the law does not qualify to change the promise. And he says the promise is not made to Abraham and his seeds. It is made to Abraham and his seed, singular, meaning Christ. That's who the promise will be made to. So in this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul a covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. God did not give it to Abraham by law. There was no law in operation at the time. Therefore, it could not be given by a law. It could only be given by a promise. And it's either by a promise or it's by a law. You either earn it or you receive it by promise. And he's saying God started from the beginning 
that you receive it by a promise. It is a promise that is made. But it is a promise that is made to Abraham to go to his seed, which is Christ. Now, when Christ comes along, we bring along a new covenant. In the new covenant, you, you have to honor everything that is in the old covenant. You cannot change anything of the old covenant. Can't do it. It's just like we'll go back to the house example. If you had an example of a, of a colonial with a three-car garage and a basement and some trees in the backyard and the builder comes along and says, I'll tell you what, we're going to make it instead of a, a four-bedroom house, we're going to make it into a six-bedroom house. And instead of a three-car garage, we're going to make it into a four-car garage. And we're even going to throw a pool in the backyard. And they add stuff to it. That's okay. You know, if your boss comes along and says, you know, you come into a covenant with your, with your job and you say that job is going to pay $50,000 plus health benefits. And after you take the job and you're after you're working there for a week, the boss comes in and says, look, I know we agreed on $50,000 in health benefits, but I made a change. I'm listening. <laughs> and if they took anything away from you, what are you going to do? You're going to get upset. Well, instead of $50,000, we want to pay you $75,000. And uh, instead of just health benefits, we want to give you dental benefits as well. And we also want to give you a company car. And we also want to pay for the gas in that company car. Then instead of three weeks of vacation, we want to give you five. What would you say? Well, let me go home and think about that. No, because it's better. And so what Jesus comes in and says, we, when we put it in the new covenant, we took in all the things from the old, except we made it better. In the old covenant, you had to bring sacrifices yearly. In the, in the new covenant, I take all that away. You don't have to do any sacrifices at all. I'm the sacrifice. And we wipe all that stuff out. No more sacrifices. No more bulls. No more goats. No more doves. I'm the sacrifice now. And instead of the Holy Spirit coming... And coming upon you every now and then, the Holy Spirit's going to be in you. And every one of you. And He's going to empower you. And He's going to do some things in you that He couldn't do before. We're going to open that up to you. And you saw the miracles that I did down in here? Well, now when I go, you're going to do greater miracles than that. To everyone who believes, not just whom the Holy Spirit comes upon. So we got into a better covenant. He did all the things of the old, except he improved some stuff. How many are all glad we don't have to keep offering bulls and sacrifices? Let's say, I mean, every time you miss it, can you imagine having to go down to the temple? Uh, I need another goat. How much is this one? That's uh, more than it was last week. <sighs> need another goat. I need a sheep this time. <laughs> we don't have to do all that sort of stuff. God has come along and he's done it. But it's through... The seed, which is Christ. Now, this is important. Now, put this there in your outline for you. It is not to seeds as in a nation, family, or people. Their focus is always on the nation of Israel, the family of Abraham, the people of God. Right? They are always looking at that because they always saw it as seeds. But God says, no, it's to seed. Whoever becomes born of Christ are sons of of believing Abraham. Whoever does. And that's, what, that's where we are. We, we, we come in through Christ. 
not through Abraham. The promise was originally made with Abraham, passed on to Christ, and we get it through access to Christ. We don't have to become part of Abraham's family. We become part of Jesus' family. He's the older brother. And we come on in and we get the blessing. He pours it out on us. Glory to God. Well, as we said, the law is a signpost. It's not a destination. It is a signpost. It is not a destination. It is only simply put there to let us know we are on the wrong way. The road or the way we're supposed to be on is faith, not the law. So the signpost says, you're on the way of law. You are going in the direction of death. Get off this road. Go this way. Just remember, we can't make one into the other. The law is not the destination. The law is a signpost. Once it's done its job, it goes away. It goes away. We do not obtain anything by living up to a law. If you didn't read your Bible for an entire week and you needed something from God, you could still come to God and say, God, I need this and by faith I believe I receive it. What will God do? <laughs> Go through the New Testament and look at the healings of Jesus. You find one person where the, they came up to him and says, my daughter is sick and dying. Can you come and lay your hands on him? Were you in synagogue last Sunday? No, in fact, I think you've missed the last four, haven't you? Tell you what, let's talk after you go to church on Sunday. Does he do that? Not a one single time. Does he ever say, well, how much time have you been reading the scrolls? Did you stop into the synagogue? Listen to the scrolls being led, read? No. Okay, well, tell you what. Stop in the synagogue. Listen to some scrolls being read. you got some time to make up for. If you get done that, come on back and ask me about it. He doesn't do that one single time. And yet, how often do people let that hang them up from receiving from God? Because we're not trying to receive by faith. We've gotten onto a path of receiving by a law. And if you get sucked into the law, you're obligated to the whole thing. If you get pulled into the law a little bit, you are on the way of the law completely. You may think you're only on it a little bit, but you're not. You're on it completely. What God wants you to do is by faith. So we look at Gideon. And Gideon, how many times does he mess up? And yet he gets in faith one day. One day. And an entire army falls. Did he qualify for that? By our accounts? Samson, how many times did he mess up? And what's he do before God? God just moved through me this time. I want to kill them all. <laughs> and the strength, the power of God came upon him and he did it. Did he qualify for it? How many times of David? How many times of Solomon? Did the anointing of God still come upon them even though they didn't necessarily qualify? Accounts of that are numerous throughout the Word of God. Make sure you don't get pulled into the law even a little bit. Because the way we go after God is the way of faith. By faith, I receive. By faith, I receive. You don't earn it. You don't ever deserve it. You don't ever get to a place where God says, well, I'm obligated. I have to do this now. No. God says, I want to do this. Put yourself in a place where I can. And, and we will. Father, we thank you for your desire, your great desire to bless us, your great desire to pour out good things on us. And all we need to do is to come to you in faith. We come to you in faith outside the law. We open up the door of 
doors of heaven, the windows of heaven to just pour out on us. But when we mix in that law, we tie your hands. And even though you desire to do much, you cannot. Because you operate through faith. And the just, they live by faith. Not by works. Father, we thank you that your spirit is long to help us out. Every time we get off and we start going in the wrong direction, being pulled into the way of law, say, no, 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 stay here in the way of faith. Stay in the way of faith. Father, I thank you for the help you give us in that. In Jesus' name, amen.